Good morning, family. Trust that you're doing well. Uh, just greetings from Pastor Louis and Natasha. Pastor Louis uh, atten attended a leadership conference and he's ministering in the UK this morning, but they send much love and greetings to you. And then also just an invitation if you're visiting or you've been visiting for a while and you'd love to know a little bit more about Hatfield and what we do here, please join us after the service in our Connect Lounge. It's just here in the foyer on the left. There's a hall that you can go in there. Uh, ben will be there to meet with you and just to tell you a little bit more about Hatfield. So you're really welcome to do that. Is it Ben? Oh, it's Debbie. We're not confused. It will be Debbie this morning. So as we turn our attention to uh, the word of the Lord this morning, I felt led of the Lord to speak on the topic this morning of triumphant in tough times, or how to be triumphant in tough times. But I also really felt the Lord said that it sh I should uh, bring it into the space of that this is a family story. How do we, as the family of faith, as the family of God, how do we triumph in tough times? Now, I'm sure if we had time and we went to each of you, you'd be able to tell us some stories about your family, wouldn't you? Some of them would be good, some of them would be interesting, some of them would be strange. Every family has a story, and it's those stories that end up forming and shaping the identity and the legacy of a family. So, just for interest's sake, how many of you sitting here, you know your family history? You know your family history more than 50 years. Anybody just wave? Okay. Wow, it's quite a few people. Okay. 100? How many of you know 100 and plus? Okay, there's some real enthusiasts here. Okay, well done. I'm not going to go further than that because that would be weird. Okay. Some of us know the, the long history of our family. All of our families have a story and a history. Now, the Bible very clearly tells us, Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 19, and he tells us that we come from different backgrounds, we come from different families, but we be, uh, let me read it rather, I'm not going to paraphrase, it says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, no matter what family you come from, when you come into the family of God, you are no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but you're a fellow citizen with God's people, and you become members of his household. The household is the New Testament metaphor framework for family. It's so interesting that Paul writes and he speaks of us, all of us sitting here, all believers through the ages as the family of God. And I want to look this morning at some of our family history. We want to look at some of our brothers and sisters who've lived way past. In fact, just under 2,000 years ago. Does that beat everybody? Okay, we've got a record of our family story from the late 80s, 90s, second half of the first century that I want us to look at this morning. And so we're going to turn our attention there and we want to look at how our historical brothers and sisters triumphed in tough times. What did they do and how did God reveal himself and speak to them when they were facing tough times? Now, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that most of us are probably facing tough times. Some of our tough times are first world problems like electricity. Not sure water in taps is a first world problem, but some of our tough times are first world problems. You know, we complain when it's too hot or too cold. Others of us have tough times that are very different. Maybe you're facing a disease, a diagnosis. Maybe you're facing something in your family or in your ministry or in your workplace. Probably as many different people are here, we could get descriptions of what tough times are. In fact, 
tough time for one person might not be a tough time for another person. Is that fair to say? But this morning, no matter what kind of situation you're facing, and if you're not in a tough time, just take great notes. Is that okay? But I think particularly if I look at what's happening in the country and the economy and things like that, tough times are going to be around for a while. And so how do we, as the people of God, triumph? And as we look at the history of our family, I think one thing that is fair to say is that the triumph might look a little bit different from what we expect. Because often, based on our backgrounds and where we come from and the worldviews that surround us, we think that triumph always means coming out on top or triumph always means winning. And I think it does mean that sometimes, and sometimes that's true for us as believers as well. But I think sometimes it looks a little bit different, so that's what we want to look at. I've been really blessed as we've gone through the Gospel of John. I think Pastor Louis' ministry to us has been phenomenal. I've learned so much, seen so many fresh things about Jesus. And so what I felt to do today is to stay with the same author. We're going to stay with the Apostle John, but we're going to look at the book of Revelation. Is that okay? Now quickly look at the person next to you in the eyes. Because okay, when you talk about the book of Revelation, interesting things happen. Some people, they like get this fire in their eyes and they go all end time on you. Okay? And there might be some things in the book of Revelation that speak to that. Other people, you look at their eyes when you talk about the book of Revelation and it just goes all glossy. Because it's just a mystery. Who knows what it means? Now, I do think we can understand what it means and I think we can look at some things. And so we're going to look at chapter 1 today. Only I'll mention chapters 2 and 3, but we're really going to read in, in chapter 1, just as the foundation that sets the scene, actually, for this whole book. Now, the title of the book is the Revelation, the full title of the book is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Not of the end times or the Antichrist or whatever, Mark of the Beast and things like that. It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that word Revelation, apocalypsis, in the Greek it literally means an unveiling. And so when we come to this book, the main idea is, is that Jesus is unveiled. You know, like when a bride walks up to the altar and there's a veil over her face and then they take the veil away and hopefully it's the one the groom was expecting. Okay. Not like Jacob or somebody. Okay. That seeing more clearly, that unveiling is what this book is about. The, the Christians, our brothers and sisters in Asia Minor, they see Jesus more clearly. There's an unveiling of Jesus that happens here because Jesus reveals himself to them. Now, to help just with this message, I need to go through three or four verses just to give a foundation and to talk a little bit about the context of the book. Is that okay? So we'll look at some verses shortly. But this book has got a lot of pictures. This book is very visual. So who are the visual thinkers in the room? You think in pictures. You always see the words. You can wave. You don't have to be shy. Okay. Congratulations. This is for you. Okay. Now, for the rest of us who tend to be a little bit more analytical, um, perhaps like myself or things like that, just switch on your imagination. Is that okay? Can you just take that switch in your head and tick it over to the imagination side? Uh, one of my commentators that I like in the book of Revelation, his name is Mitchell Reddy, she says, you have to experience the book before you analyze the book. And that's actually how John wrote it. He wrote it to be seen and to be visualized and to be experienced. That's the style of writing that we experience here. So today you may think in pictures. I give you permission as I may. Lay, laying, setting the scene, setting some foundations. Chapter 1, verse 5. We... In this book, that's an unveiling of Jesus. In verse 5, we, it's the first time in the book it tells us something about Jesus. Something about Jesus is revealed. Three things. Let's read together. 
Revelation 1 verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, and then it describes Jesus. It says three things. Number one, who is the faithful witness. Number two, the firstborn from the dead. And number three, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And these three themes about Jesus we'll see are repeated through the chapter, but also through the whole book. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's how Jesus is introduced in this book. Now drop down a little bit further to verse 9 in chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, this gives us a little bit of context into which Jesus is introducing himself, the context into which Jesus is revealing himself. John writes and he uses classic first century letter style because he's writing a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor. And he writes, the apostle John writes and he says, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, I don't want to make too big a thing of this, but it says here that John is their companion in suffering. So what does that obviously mean? It means that John is suffering, and we know he is because he's in exile in Patmos. He's been expelled from the Roman province of Asia Minor, and he's been put on this hard island distance and isolated from his family of faith as punishment for the sake of the gospel because of my testimony of Jesus, John says. But he also says he's their companion in suffering. So what we also understand is the churches that he's writing to in Asia Minor, they're also suffering. So the context of this letter is Jesus has been unveiled to people who are experiencing tough times, to people who are suffering, at least for their faith. Is that okay? That's a little bit about what's saying about Jesus and the context that this book comes into. The believers that are hearing this are facing tough times. Now, last verse I just quickly want to look at, and I really only want to mention the second half of the verse uh, is just for you to keep in mind for later so that we can understand a passage that we're going to read later a little bit better. Is that okay? So just tuck this into, I'm going to understand the book file. Is that okay? Or understand the symbols file. Chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, it's right at the end of the chapter, and we're going to come back, and we're going to read some things earlier from the chapter in a little bit. Uh, but John writes about, and he says, The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, he says this, The seven stars are the angels, that word means literally messenger, the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the thing I just want you to remember here is the lampstands are the churches. Have you got that? Okay, so when we read about a lampstand in the book of Revelation, it's always referring to the church because that's how John's interpreted for us. So you've got those three things. Now, what I did just to save some time is I, I went through chapters two and three because I wanted to try and see what the text indicates for us and tells us about what these churches what our brothers and sisters in the 80s, 90s were experiencing, what were the tough times that they were going through. And so we don't have time to read through the chapters in, this, in detail, but basically just to say that the churches in Asia Minor, it's modern-day Turkey, that area, they're facing internal pressure and external threats. And what I did just, I went through and I extracted um, things from the text and kind of put it into a word cloud. I thought Pastor Louis used a menti cloud last week, so i just stay in the flow if you guys can pop that up. Um, it's a cloud of tough times that is coming their way. They're experiencing hardships, the churches. They're facing false teaching, which is putting pressure on them, tremendous pressure to compromise, to go back to worshiping idols, to go back to engaging in sexual immorality. And there's false teaching that's telling them, it's okay, you can do this. And they have to stand against that. They're experiencing poverty. There, there was economic exclusion because they were following Jesus. They were in part 
of the trade guilds of the time. They were being lied to, they were being slandered, they were being falsely accused. In fact, some from the Jews, John calls them the synagogue of Satan because Satan is the accuser. Some Jewish people were accusing them falsely because they're starting to threaten the, the legal status of the Jewish community. They're experiencing persecution. One church, it says, I know you live where Satan has his throne. Imagine that, living where Satan has his throne. Now, it's probably referring to the temple of Zeus, but I, I don't know where you live, but I'm sure it's a better neighborhood than that, okay? You don't live where Satan has his throne, but some of them were there right in a very evil, difficult place. They were being challenged by false prophets. They were losing their passion. In fact, they were said, some of them were said that they were lukewarm, that their works were incomplete. They were accused. Jesus tells them that they were arrogant and proud. They had little strength, and they were wretched and poor. They were facing tough times. Yet, in all these things, in every, it's a very structured letter to the seven churches, at the end of every letter, there's this phrase, to him who overcomes. Depending what Bible you've got, it might say, to him who triumphs, or to him who is victorious, or to him who overcomes. The Greek can be, most literally, is to him who conquers. Okay? To every church, there's this promise, I know what's going on. I know the tough times. I know the trials you're facing. I know what you're doing well, and I know what you're not doing well. But then there's this promise to him who triumphs, to him who overcomes. And there's this promise of reward, which is a picture of fellowship with Jesus and eternal life, because that is the ultimate reward for all the tough times we go through. Seven times they're going through difficulties in Jesus' expectation, Jesus' admonition, Jesus' encouragement to them is, I want you to overcome. And so we want to look at that. But I wonder what you're facing. What's your tough time this morning? What are the tough times we're facing as a family of faith? But let's look at what does triumph look like? As a Christian, what does it look like when I triumph, when I overcome? Because I mentioned earlier, it perhaps looks a little bit different from what we've been conditioned around us to expect. Now, if I start the saying, how would you complete it? When the going gets tough, the tough, some of you have heard it before, the tough get going. Okay, you know that's not in the Bible, hey? It's, it's not a proverb or something like that. It's this common phrase you've got in our culture that tells us how to respond to tough times. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. The challenge is I don't think it's always true. Because what happens when a tough time comes and you're not tough? Are you then just a loser? What, what happens then? So can we have a little bit of a, let's call it a family talk, just a frank discussion around how the reality, because we have to deal with reality, the reality of facing tough times, the reality of facing challenges. Now, the ch some challenges you were built for. You know, some challenges, it comes your way. Now, because it's a challenge, it's, it's got to be big. It's got to look like it's a little bit beyond you. Otherwise, it would just be everyday life. It's got to be something that's going to make you feel a little insecure and, you know, can I do this? But some challenges come and you can see them coming and you know, I've got this. I'm going to conquer. I can beat this. Perhaps you're fit enough, strong enough. You've got enough wisdom. You've got enough life experience. You know how to do this. You know, when you've changed your first baby nappy, it's super challenging. Don't be visual now. Okay. It's super challenging because it's, I mean, I remember learning the skill. It was a, and this is not a real tough time, but, but after you've changed your 50th nappy, it's not a challenge anymore. Fathers? Amen. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, uh, yeah, men do, real men change nappies. Let me just say that. Okay. But some challenges you built for. It, it's in your wheelhouse. It's in your skill set. You know, there's a financial problem to be solved. You've got the acumen. You've, you can handle the challenge. And then you triumph. And so there, triumph, winning looks like winning. You come out on top. You overcome. That happens often, and Jesus helps us in that space. How many of you have had challenges like it where you came across it, you faced it, and you came through it better on the other side. Anybody? That's the truth of some challenges. But not all challenges are like that. If you've lived a while, you'll know that not all tough times can be overcome that way. Some challenges we grow into. They're too much for us when we start, but we become fit to handle them. Perhaps it's managing your budget better, and you learn how to do that better, and you become fit, and you find yourself then living in a place of triumph. So you can grow into it, and that growing is part of triumph. That growing is part of the overcoming. Some challenges you might not win, you lose, but you learn a lot. Like how never to do that ever <laughs> again. And if you can learn, that can be a triumph, because next time you will do better. So you don't always have to stand on the top of the podium in the number one position to be an overcomer, to be triumphant. Sometimes learning Sometimes growing is triumphing. That's what it looks like. Some challenges we face, God comes through for us miraculously, whether it's by provision or healing, and that's obviously quite easy to stand then in a place of triumph because God has done something that you could not do for yourself. How many loves those kinds of ones? I love them. Okay, we pray for them a lot, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Some challenges are too much for us. Some challenges are so big that all we can do is just hold on. And the only prayer we can pray is, Jesus, just help me to hold on. In those challenges, we stand. Think of Ephesians 6, where Paul writes, and he says, having done all, having done everything you can, just stand. And that standing is triumph. That standing in and of itself can be overcoming. Some challenges are tough. Some challenges are so devastating that all we can do is fall and kneel before the Father in humility and say, Jesus, this is too much for me. Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. And when we do that, in some of those challenges, we find that Jesus comes and he carries us. And we come through that time, and we don't know how we did it, but just we know that Jesus took us. Some of those challenges, it actually takes the family around us brothers and sisters in Christ, who can take us through because we just don't have it in ourselves. That's why family and Christian community is so important because in tough times, sometimes you need those around you to help you get through it. Some challenges you face will break you. This is real talk now. You won't win. You'll walk away with a limp. Jacob is going to meet his brother Esau. It's a challenging situation. He's got to restore a relationship that he's violated and broken. And he has this interesting encounter with the angel of the Lord, and they wrestle. And in the end, the angel touches his hip, and he walks away with a limp. But that limp changed his nature. That limp changed who he was, and he became victorious in that. But he walked with a limp. Jesus went to the cross. And he overcame, we understand that, he rose from the dead. But he still has nail-pierced hands. 
He still has a scarred side. He won. He was victorious, but he walks. Paul talks later around after the marks of Jesus on my body. Jesus walks around with the scars to this day. Some challenges we face alter us and change us forever. And if you can change and become more like Jesus in that process, that's also a triumph. That's also coming. Walking with a limp can be a victory as well. So we cannot define triumph just by being the number one. Sometimes triumph isn't about winning. Sometimes triumph is about finishing the race and just getting a participation medal. Sometimes triumph is winning, but oftentimes in our life it's not. But in all this, no matter what challenges we're facing, no matter what we're going through, Jesus stands and challenges us to him who overcomes, to her who is triumphant. Jesus wants us to triumph because there's always the promise of reward. And so we read about these churches in Asia Minor that are going through tough times. And they're failing. Some of them, plainly, Jesus says to them, some of you will die. It's a very encouraging prophetic word. We don't allow prophets to tell us that today anymore. But John writes, some of you are going to die. Because sometimes the challenges will seemingly overcome you. But how many you know, for those who died, there was a victory and a reward when they were in eternal fellowship with Jesus Christ. So how do we triumph? What if we, and I want to look at just four lessons from the book of Revelation this morning. Uh, some of them are in chapter one. Uh, some, uh, one of them, one set isn't. One of the ways we triumph as believers is through prayer. And please, if you haven't heard it, or just please catch Pastor Louis' message from last week where he spoke about praying for the nation. Such a significant message. One of the ways we as people of faith will triumph in our nation and in the nations of the world is if we pray. Now, if we look in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 8, the symbol in the book of Revelation for prayer is incense. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room full of incense, but it, you'll notice it. Okay, sometimes it's a little, if you've burnt a whole lot, it'll be like a little bit cloudy and distinctive in its smell. Now, John creates this picture for us, and he says, when we pray, it's like incense that goes before God. It's my favorite picture of prayer. Because, you know, sometimes you pray and you, you don't know. <laughs> God always hears is this incense that comes up before the throne of God. And then in chapter 8, we see that God takes the incense and they get, gets put into bowls. And those bowls get cast down on the earth. It's a picture of the prayers of the saints getting answered. And when we pray, there's incense going up before God. When we pray for our nation, when we pray for our leaders, and please, as you have opportunity, go through to our prayer room here at the back of the church. We've set it up just to help you pray, particularly for South Africa. You can take those pointers and pray them for any nation. But prayer is how we overcome. When we're on our knees, we win. Because God's hand can move and God's hand can intervene. God's hand can change that difficult family member, even if they are your spouse. God's hand can come and that unbelieving son or daughter and God can intervene. We triumph when we pray. We triumph when we pray. Secondly, we triumph when we are a faithful witness. Remember from chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus is the faithful witness. Now, witness here doesn't just mean the testimony, the words you use. It's the whole of your life. When your life testifies to Jesus. Jesus lived his whole life in obedience to what the Father wanted him to do, even to death on the cross, Philippians 2 tells us. And that obedience, that lifestyle of faithfully following what God wants you to do, 
will let you overcome, being a faithful witness. And this is on our front lines. This is the space where God has put you to reflect him, to bring his kingdom, to make good work, to be a mouthpiece for truth and justice, to model godly character, the six M's that we are becoming increasingly familiar with as we talk about whole life discipleship. As you're a faithful witness at home with your teenagers, hard but true, with, in your workplace with your difficult boss, when you're doing dealings in business and you're ethical, when you're a faithful witness, you will triumph. When you say no to corruption and bribery as a faithful witness, you will triumph. You might lose some money, might become very uncomfortable, but the greater reward is what God wants us to do. So we overcome when we pray, we triumph when we pray, we triumph when we are a faithful witness, and we triumph when we patiently endure. In chapter 1, verse 9, John, we'll read it again shortly, John says that I'm your companion in suffering and patient endurance that are ours in the kingdom. Part of being a child in the kingdom, part of being part of the family of God is that you, the way you overcome tough times is you just keep on keeping on. You patiently endure. And this is a difficult word because we live in a society that likes instant. We live in a world that says, you know, get 100 million followers and you are successful and you are triumphant and you've overcome. But it's the patient endurance in time. What Eugene Peterson, one of the ways he describes discipleship is that it's the long obedience in the same direction. As we become followers of Jesus and we continually walk towards him, and we continually model our lives after him and around him, patiently endure, that is also how you overcome. The last one we want to look at this morning, and we'll read some of the text now, is we overcome by having, uh, um, by seeing Jesus as we've never seen him before. In every tough time we, pl- we face, I think generally we can say that you need a fresh revelation of God. Because in your previous tough times, you, you had to hold on to God and know him in a certain way. And then when you face something new, you face a new challenge, a new tough time, you need to see Jesus afresh, at least. But perhaps you might need to see Jesus or get to know Jesus in a way you haven't before. And so seeing Jesus, if you think of a dartboard, this is like the bullseye. In tough times, Jesus is the thing, the person you want to, to focus on. And so we're going to read Revelation chapter 1 from verse 9 to 18 now. And please picture this as you read it. In fact, if it will help you, you may close your eyes in church. Just don't sleep. You may close your eyes so that you can picture the scene, particularly when we get to verse 12 and onwards. Is that okay? So read imaginatively. You read to experience the text in this case. So John writes, Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, Uh, We've read it. John, your brother and companion in suffering. And there the suffering can refer to your day-to-day challenges. It can refer to final and ultimate suffering. But it's when you're going through the challenges of life, your companion in suffering, and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's Day, probably the first day of the week, we know the early church adopted Monday, or, you know, Sunday is the first day, is the resurrection day. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. How many of you have had the joyous experience of someone unexpectedly blowing a trumpet or a horn or something, a bugle behind you when you weren't expecting it? Anybody? 
What would you do if this happened to you? You're standing, you're sitting here nicely in church this morning, and the person behind you takes out their trumpet, and they just give a nice blast behind you. What would your reaction be? I bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> I, I hope. Okay. It would get your attention. That's all that John is saying. He has this voice. It's an attention-getting voice. And sometimes in tough times, Jesus is calling out, and we're just not hearing his voice. We're seeing what he wants us to see. On the Lord's day, verse 10, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll and send this, this letter to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Verse 12, imagine this. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. What are the lampstands? Do you remember? The churches. So John turns to see the voice, but the first thing he sees is the family of God. The first thing he sees is the communities in Asia Minor. He sees the church. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Where's Jesus in this picture? The Son of Man, we understand. He's standing in the midst of the churches. The churches that are experiencing tough times. The churches that are experiencing persecution and trial, Jesus stands in their midst. And isn't this what happens when we hit tough times? Where's Jesus? He's not seated high on the throne. He's in our midst. Whatever tough time you're going through, Jesus is right there with you. He stands amongst his people. So John turns and the first thing he sees is Jesus is with his people. Jesus is with you when you face tough times. Among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, picture this, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters and in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance what would you do if you turned around and saw that maybe something like John did verse 17 when I saw him I fell at his feet though dead we'll come back to this verse now but then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And so John, amen. John is a companion in suffering and he turns and he sees Jesus revealed in a way, unveiled in a way he hasn't seen before. Now let's go back to verse 17. John sees Jesus and he falls as though dead. Let's think about this a little bit. Who was John the Apostle? John the Apostle was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was with Jesus from the beginning. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He heard everything that Jesus taught for three, three and a half years. John knew Jesus. 
John was there when they went up on the mountain and Jesus was transfigured and he met with Moses and Elijah. He saw Jesus in a way different from what any other of the disciples had seen him. Jesus, John knew Jesus. He saw Jesus transfigured. John was there when Jesus broke the bread at the Last Supper. John, who refers to himself in the gospel as the disciple who Jesus loved, he loved Jesus. John was there standing with Jesus' mother when he was crucified. He saw Jesus crucified. He was there when he ran to the empty tomb and the body was gone. He was there when Jesus just walked into the room in his resurrection body and appeared. John was there. He was there with a miraculous catch of fish when Jesus bride for them and commissioned them and stuff like that. John knew Jesus. He was a friend of God. By this stage, he's been serving Jesus for probably at least 60 years since the, since the death and resurrection of Jesus. Faithfully building churches, planting churches, discipling people, helping them grow. John knew Jesus. And yet, in this time of trial where he's in exile, when all the churches are facing state persecution and, and suffering, John turns around and he sees Jesus in a way he's never seen him before. He knew Jesus crucified. He knew Jesus was the faithful witness. He knew Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. And here he sees Jesus, probably dressed in high priestly garments, feet like bronze glowing from a furnace, sword of judgment coming out of his mouth and he's overwhelmed. He falls as though because in everything he's going through, there's an unveiling of Jesus that John gets that despite his whole, no matter how long he'd known Jesus, he sees Jesus in a way he's never seen him before. And when we want to triumph in tough times, we need to see Jesus. And perhaps you will see Jesus in a way you've never seen him before. Maybe you know very little about Jesus. You need to see Jesus in a way you've never seen him before. Maybe you're like the Apostle John and you've been serving Jesus faithfully for decades. There's always more of Jesus to see. There's more of Jesus to be unveiled. Not so that we can have spiritual experiences. Those are definitely important and they help. But so that we can triumph. So that we can face the tough times that we might need to go through. It's interesting that Jesus says to John, John who put his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, leans in close to Jesus and says, who's the one who's going to betray you? John who Jesus trusted enough to tell him. He's overwhelmed and he falls down and Jesus comes to him and he says, do not be, why, afraid, because he was <laughs> terrified. There's more to learn about Jesus. There's more to see. And we're facing tough times, but let's set our hearts that we want to see more of Jesus. No matter what you're facing, Jesus holds the keys. The biggest enemy we have, the thing that often causes most fear, is death. And John, Jesus is very clear, I hold the keys. No matter what might happen, even if the worst happens to you, Jesus holds the keys. And if you overcome, there is a reward of eternal life with him, eternal fellowship with him. Not only after death, but in this life too. 
if we think of John 17, when Jesus prays for us, he says, this is eternal life, that we might know him. And so when we know Jesus in our triumphs, when we're number one on the podium and we're winning and we're victorious, and when we know him that he's carried us through, or our brothers and sisters has helped us stand, that is when we triumph. Worship team, you guys can come up so long. And so we've looked a little bit at our family story of our ancient historical brothers and sisters, how they faced tough times and left us a legacy of faith, left us a legacy of patient endurance, left us a legacy of learning more about Jesus. When you face tough times, you're part of the family of God. You're not alone. And sometimes we have this thing that if I'm not the head and I'm actually feeling like the tail, I'm not doing well as a believer. It's not true. We all face trials. We all face temptations. They are common to us all. And we have a family that can support us. But Jesus is the central character in every story of suffering. So when the going gets tough, we pray. When the going gets tough, we live as faithful witnesses. When the going gets tough, we patiently endure. And when the going gets tough, we turn to see Jesus like we've never seen him before. This is our triumph. I believe that, by the way, John sees Jesus here walking as the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he'd never seen Jesus walking as the ruler of the kings of the earth. And I think we need to hear that too today. You see, sometimes we think so-and-so is in charge. Sometimes we think our boss. Sometimes we think the government. Sometimes we think this party. Sometimes we think that nation or this organization. It only looks like they're in charge. There is only one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he is in control. Even when we go through tough times, the ruler of the kings of the earth is marching. The ruler of the kings of the earth is stepping forward and we must step with him. Despite appearances, God is in control. And so how do we triumph in tough times? We learn from our family. We listen to the stories. We set our faith on him who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We put our trust in him who says that I will be with you to the end of the age. That is the Jesus we serve. Let's pray. Father, I don't know everybody's story in this room. I don't know what every single person perhaps is facing and, and even those online, what they're going through in their space and those who watch the recording. But I know this, that you are amongst your people. You know what each of us is facing. You know the challenges, the trials, the tough times. Won't you give us of yourself so that we can go through these times? Won't you help us to see and to understand and to pray and to be faithful and to endure? I pray particularly for those this morning that are feeling overcome, that they're not winning, they're losing, that what they're facing is too much and they don't know how. Won't you be with them? Thank you that in what they're facing, you are right there with them. You're not surprised. 
You're not ignorant. You know. Thank you that we can be known by you. So Lord, we pray for each person. We pray for our brothers and sisters, for ourselves in this room. Would you give us your spirit, your Holy Spirit, which gives us power to overcome, power to testify, power to witness, so that we may stand, but not for our triumph, not for our glory, but for yours. Further on in the book, as we sang a little bit this morning, who is worthy, chapter 5, to open the scrolls? There is only one in all of heaven and all of earth in all of creation who is worthy and that is you Jesus we are not the worthy ones you are and so won't you help us to triumph so that we can be with you we can learn more about you in our realities and in our trials and in our triumphs and in our successes help us to know you better I pray this for our family here our family online our family who may be watching this, that we would be overcomers, that we will triumph in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you're in need of prayer this morning, the team will be up here in front, some of the pastors and prayer ministry team, please come for prayer, that we can stand with you in prayer at this time. Please remember, if you want to know more about us, the Connect Lounge in the foyer hall, and then just a great privilege next week, we'll have Pastor Stuart Bell from the UK, from a live church in the UK, who will be sharing with us. Pastor Stuart is an apostolic figure. He's one of the pastors on our advisory board, and he's going to be in the country. He hasn't visited us for many years, so please join us and come here, Pastor Stuart. Share with us as well next week. It's going to be a wonderful time. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you in this week. May you overcome. May you triumph as you go. Thank you.